Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is, to Drive-by Cinema, Series 4, Episode 18, with my co-host Paul. And my co-host Richard. Welcome, one and all, to the podcast that reviews the movies so you don't have to. Yeah, we watched them so you don't have to. Sorry, yes. Not everyone feels the need to review things, do they? But... Some of us do. I mean, do we have any right to? No. No, but we're still going to expound a but great doing it anyway. on things that may or may not interest you. Now, Paul... Been a busy week for us both, probably. I don't know. Has indeed, yeah. I've been I've been away. You have. You've been all the way, either to Bucharest or Budapest. Budapest. Hungary. Yeah. I, I was continually getting the two mixed up myself, but they're quite different places. Romania, Bucharest. Budapest. Blue Danube. Famous. It's on the Danube, yeah. Absolutely. Also famous for having two cities sort of joined together in one. Buda. city Pest. of Buda. And best, rather like Salford and Manchester, across the <laughs> Irwell. <laughs> yeah, that's a fitting analogy. Not much of Budapest was destroyed in the Second World War, was it? So it remains quite an intact city, doesn't it? I think that's untrue. I think oh. a lot of it was destroyed in the Second World War. Oh. Buda is the old part with the castle and stuff. Yeah. And if you look at it now, there does look like there's a load of old buildings. But as the tour guides continually told us, most of them have been rebuilt recreated oh, wow. in the last few years. There's cranes up there, and they're having to rebuild them all because I think many of them were destroyed during the war, Oh, very sadly. This whole rebuilding the buildings in the old style gives it a bit of a Poundbury kind of sense to it. Yes. Because, you know, the frontages are all like concrete that have been cunningly shaped to look like old buildings. With you. With lines where the bricks would have been and stuff like that. But inside, it's all steel. It's all steel constructions, yeah. I think so, yeah. Steel and concrete, mm. yeah. But, you see, the the thing is, what else are you going to do there? Are there any glorious communist-era hotels or not? There's communist-era buildings in oh. in around Budapest. And, in fact, again, along the Danube, where all the big old hotels were, most of that was destroyed. They're now brand-new five-star hotels along the Danube. Of the Hilton International variety, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. But none of the glorious kind of old concretey Soviet ones with hexagonal arrays of hexagonal windows and and big long sort of entrance hallways in mahogany and and sort. Of. I think there probably are some of those buildings, but I'm not sure they would be particularly well loved in Hungary, right? I'm not. No, sure. no, they wouldn't. No, particularly not in Hungary. It being the source of many uprisings. Yeah, it's got a very storied history, which I wasn't really familiar with until I went there. But Hungary comes from the Hun, right? It's Asian tribes invading. Well, invading. I mean... Is that not true? Attila the Hun, yeah. I, I guess that's where the name comes from. But, there, I mean, there's little demographic weight, I think, to those claims. Oh, okay. So the story goes that all happened in 896. Whoa. And then a thousand years later, they had their millennium celebration. They celebrated a thousand years of Hungary, the state, as it were. And then they built a load of fancy things at that time in 1896. So, I mean, the Magyars, okay, and their language is, I mean, it's an isolate pretty much within within Europe, isn't it? It's supposedly yeah. potentially distant related to Finnish. It's not Slavic. It's not... It's not Slavic, no. Although yeah. I guess it's taken on a lot of Slavic loanwords. Well, Buddha is Slavic. That means water in... Just like Romanian isn't Slavic, but, you know, it's peppered with Slavic phrases. So. Because, of course, Budapest is famous for its hot springs. It's got spas everywhere, by which I mean 
hot spring baths, not spas. Although they do also have spas, like the convenience shop that kids in Britain would hang around (laughs) to get alcohol. But in Budapest, I think spa, the convenience store, is slightly more at market than it is in Britain. It's funny, isn't it, how supermarket brands and shop brands have different qualities and characteristics in different locations. Well, look at what Aldi and Lidl have done to yeah. conquer the UK. They've they kind of changed what they are and kept some of them. Well, they had to undercut, didn't they? They had to undercut the incumbents like Tesco and mm-hmm. Sainsbury's. Whereas in Germany, I think it's a quite a prestige brand, isn't it, Aldi? Well, I think it's just a thing to shop the cheapest place in, in Germany. There isn't that idea of, I'm going to pay more, and by paying no. more, I will... Is it a Weber good you achieve by doing that, by paying more than... Isn't it a Veblen good? A Veblen good or whatever, yeah. yeah. Where demand increases as the price increases. Or something there isn't like that. that conception of, of everyday commodity shopping in Germany. One just goes to the supermarket that's nearest with the plainest stacking and, and gets what one wants, you know. So. So, so interestingly, Budapest, two cities. Aldi, actually two different companies. Aldi and Aldi huh? South. Al and D. No. Uh, <laughs> like Adidas, almost. It just became Puma, didn't it? Adidas and what? Adidas, Adidas and Puma, Puma were the same company and then split brothers, brother, brotherly, didn't they? In lack of Romulus brother. and Remus. Yes, same with Aldi. No, well, I was going to say, if I've got the word Veblen right, I've been having a brief flirtation, sort of a monomania the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. with a Veblen good, which is... Expensive Italian sofas? No, expensive watches. Oh, well, I, I, know, you, I know you in watches. I know you have a thing for watches. Do you mean electronic no, watches I, or you, standard what? watches? No, no, this is my point. I mean old-fashioned Yeah, you, well, you always had a thing for that. I did not. You I, did? did I? When, well, maybe m- many moons ago. Maybe many moons ago, but... You were very I, big on the old, the big blunt... Tag, tag Heuer? You were hugely, hugely enthusiastic about them, Richard. No, Paul, I just got a knockoff Tag Heuer. That's what happened. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, you fronted it very well. Oh, thank you. No, what I've become aware of is this market for ultra, like, I think I'm going to coin the term hyperwatch. I I don't think it's a real term. Yeah. Obviously, we know about Rolexes, and you can get Rolexes of extraordinary... They're nice, but rather rather mundane, I think. Yeah, yeah. Although you can get them, like, gem-encrusted, you know. I'd much prefer a swatch, I have to be honest. Well, I knew you were going to bring swatches into this. It's not that I haven't moved on from the 80s. I just think there's so many nice things about that kind of... Uh, Memphis design whole motif that I just love. What I became aware of is this trend in modern watchmaking Mm -hmm. to harken back to the old style of building a mechanical watch Mm -hmm. that, yes, is often hand-wound, although I thought the pinnacle of your watch... Was those live valve watches. What's that kind of valve that kind of glows? Nixie tubes. Nixie tubes. Tube I mean, they're really cheap now because, you know, obviously they've been, they've been copied and made in China for 50 pounds a time. But No, know. I thought the watches that all the millionaires had were self-winding mechanical watches. Yeah. So they're the ones with an, an unbalanced counterweight. That's a relatively mundane technology. My father had a self-winding kind of semi-expensive watch. Sure. And having one, well, that's fine. But millionaires may have several. And the thing about one of those self-winding you have watches, to wear especially them. ones... You have to wear them, yeah. So, what's the solution? Since they can't be wound up normally, you have a special box in your wardrobe. Oh, I see you have a servant to wear them for you. You have a special box in your the wardrobe. Wobbles. That Yeah, that wiggles the watches continuously. Oh, so Lord. they continually stay charged up, as it were, or wound up is the word, isn't it? Uh-huh. But no, 
That is not the current trend in hyperwatches. What is? I have to use a couple of words now that you'll be unfamiliar with because you're not into watchmaking and hyperwatches. No. For instance, if I use the word complications to you, you don't know what that means. But in watchmaking, a complication... complication is dial within a dial, little... Yes. Reset. Exactly. It's a reset, reset kind of arms. And, yeah. Kind of so like a normal hand, watch sorry. might have, you know, an hour and a minute hand. But then you might have an extra dial for, you know, the seconds. Stop watching, yeah. Or a stopwatch, another complication. Or the phase of the moon, that would be another complication. You're saying there's a trend towards maximalism here. Yes, exactly. So one way is having the most complications, like 28 complications. And to fit all of those on a mechanical watch on your wrist is quite a thing. Yes. So I've seen ones where the face flips out. And so you've got like one on the face on the front and then one on the inside and another one on the inside. I'm feeling slightly nauseous, I have to say. Quite a lot of them have got a face on the inside that's against your wrist. Okay. That you have to take it off sometimes. Oh, wonderful. And they'll, they'll have things like lunar calendars, but several different kinds of lunar calendar. Okay. I've seen one with a tide on it. For wait a minute, before smartwatches, I <laughs> fell for this, but in electronic form. I bought a really expensive smartwatch that also was supposed to be a ski pass. And it didn't work, right? Do you go skiing? I did in Japan, yeah. Oh, in Japan, okay. Right. And then I bought a a nice Casio G-Shock that was supposed to be the surf one with the sort of high and low tides. And it was uninterpretable. Right. So I've been there electronically and neither was satisfying. We've got complications down. The next thing I want to talk about, it's another word, another bit of jargon. It's called a turbion. Turbion. This is a bit of watch and clock making technology. I want you to imagine a carriage clock, a small clock. Well, that would I'm going to get onto my piece. part of the story in a second, but go on, carry on. How does a carriage clock regulate the time passing before quartz? But by a regulator, you know, it, the, it's, it spins out and in according to its speed kind of thing. Ah, yeah. Of course, a carriage clock is too short for a pendulum of any decent length. Yeah, it's supposed to be carried around, isn't it? So. What they often have is a little wheel, a weighted wheel on a leaf spring, mm-hmm. and it goes backwards and forwards. It basically rotates, you know, clockwise and anti-clockwise. And that is how it regulates. It's like a miniature pendulum, in rotary pendulum, isn't it? Yeah. Now, here's a problem. If your primitive machining technology cannot guarantee a perfectly weighted wheel, mm-hmm. it's going to introduce a bias, because the, the gravity will be pulling on the, the heavier bit of the wheel more strongly. Mm-hmm. Swiss watchmakers, or French watchmakers, I don't know, invented the tourbillon. And that's a little setting, a seating, for your, your little wheel that turns around all the time so that... Ah! Yeah, I'm it will average you. out. It will average out any imperfections Level. in the wheel weight. It seems sensible for a carriage clock that's going to sit on your mantelpiece. Arguably less sensible to put it in a wristwatch. Yeah. It was fine in a pocket watch, say, that would hang in the same orientation all day. Wristwatch less so. But it's a big flex for a watchmaker to be able to put a tourbillon in a wristwatch because they're potentially, you know, quite big mechanical things, especially fitting all the other complications in around it. Even more impressive if you have a two or even three axis tourbillon. <laughs> like a gimbal for watches is what you say. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they'll all turn the 
the swingy bit around at different rates. So one might Fuck turn it around completely in a minute, one in an hour, and one in, you know, a day or something like that. Supposedly will perfectly average out all of the imperfections of the mechanical mechanism. And so if you want a really expensive watch, you look for ones with a lot of complications that have multi-axis tourbillons, and of course they're also naturally going to be encased, encrusted in very expensive Diamante. materials. And standard for any of these watches is all of the glass will be a grown sapphire crystal, a, wow. a, a, a synthetic sapphire that's been grown in exactly the Still right shape. Still not cheap, yeah. Fabulously expensive, scratch resistant, of course. What kind of price are we talking about here? You name it. I don't think you're talking 150,000? Easily for a starter tourbillon. But really? they go up. Two, three, five million. What? Yeah, these watches are completely impossibly so stupid. We're, we're talking Fabergé egg kind of prices. Yeah, yeah. I'll sh- I'll send you some links later on. You'll be astounded. So interestingly, I was checking out. I was trying to see if Casio G-Shocks had gone smartwatch, and they have. They have, yeah. But I don't know if they've got phone capability or phone connection capability. Didn't Is that really what you say. want? Well, is that I, a breakpoint for you? I, you want to be able to phone I, like Dick Tracy? I would, at the drop of a hat, get a. A uh, smart Casio watch, without without even thinking about it. But like, I wanted to have like full smartwatch function. I mean, I have a smartwatch here. Mm. I think I can call on it. Yeah, I can call on it. It would never occur to me to call on my on my watch. But I you can download your. You can connect to your phone though, can't you? It connects to my phone. It tells me what my WhatsApp messages are. Yeah. So it doesn't have a SIM itself. You just set up a, a Bluetooth with it, or this one doesn't. But you can get them with SIMs. But I've never mm. felt the need. Because I can't imagine ever using it like a phone when so I'm So weirdly, it seems on mine to sync towards watches. And then today, I went in one of the several hundred gift shops where I live and started looking at carriage clocks. Because oh, no. <laughs> in terms of, I'd like to have something kitsch in my house, a carriage clock. But then I saw what I was really wanting. And that right. is those Japanese clocks. A Billy Bass. I, oh. I think by the brand name Rhythm. And it's kind of like a giant sort of semi-ornamental clock that you hang on your wall, but it has like mirrors and glass and sort of like a cuckoo clock, but in sort of shiny chrome and glass kind of thing. And it does these sort of pirouettes of chandelier kind of reflectivity every once an hour. And yeah, I just I just really want one. Christmas gift ideas for the person who has everything in your life. And with that, Paul... I'm afraid we have to rush off. We have to talk about real movies. And review a movie after this music. Coming right at you now. Paul. Yes. We're caught in a time loop. A crazy time loop. But at least this time loop's got 80s music in it. Yes, it has got 80s music. So, yeah, we're back in the 80s, aren't we, for this movie, uh, here in Series 4, Episode 18. And you're going to ask me the name of the movie, Richard, aren't you? I can. I can ask you that question. But totally. Since you, oh. <laughs> since you prompted me, I guess you know. Totally killer from 2023. Totally. Mm. This is an Amazon Productions film, funded, ah. I guess, by Amazon. Hosted by Amazon and uh, free to watch on Prime. Yeah, it's kind of like, sorry to summarise it before we've talked about it, it's kind of like Heather comes back to bite the Heathers kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, this film cannot get away from comparisons with Happy Death Day, which we saw 
No, it can't, can it? No. A season ago. It starts not in the 80s, though, Paul. It starts Halloween 2023. That's not that long ago, actually, is it? It is Halloween 23. And it's, yeah, released this year, so well done for making it ahead of time. And what's going on there? We've got the usual family in the kitchen, around the kitchen island, sort of teenage with parent conflict trauma, haven't we, going on? Well, we're in a place called Vernon, Vernon somewhere in yeah. the US. And it, it actually does go back to the 80s, doesn't it? It says 35 years ago, there were three girls murdered. There were 16-year-olds. Stabbed all three 16 times each. Dubbed the Sweet 16 Killer. Hmm. I think we see the killer, don't we, at the start, dressed all in black with a mask, a very big kind of exaggerated mask. Almost like Presidents of the USA mask, but not quite. Reminded me of Max Headroom. Yes, it reminded me of Max Headroom. I thought they were going to sort of name check Max Headroom, but never mentioned him once, despite the 80s theme. He wasn't big in the States, though, was he? He was entirely British creation. That's a mystery, isn't it? That's weird. Despite being played by an American actor. So this is being told to us, I think, by a podcaster, Paul. A podcaster and a murder tour guide (laughs) who is showing people around Vernon. He has a true crime podcast. True crime is sort of a massive genre in podcasting, isn't it? I don't know whether you're aware of the the rich seam of true crime podcasts. I mean, of course, most famous podcast in the world, Serial, was itself a true crime podcast, right? Right, with you. Here we are, podcast guy giving a murder tour. Someone questions whether three people is really a serial killer. <laughs> I think he might be defined as a spree killer. Yeah, spree killers. It was, he's standing outside the burger joint and the woman serving the burgers interrupts his tour to question him about whether three, three makes it a serial killer. It's really quite funny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a spree killer is someone who goes off and does a load of killings in like one go. Right. A serial killer, I mean, it has to be a continuum the modus operandi, doesn't there? Yeah, it's usually over a long period of time. Or, you know, like, you can't kill several... somebody in a bar fight and then go cut somebody's face off. I mean, they're, they're different kind of murders, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think that would be a serial killer, would it? That would just be <laughs> you a very crazy. violent, yeah, a violent, violent psychopath, yeah. But yeah, so so yeah, I, I agree. I don't think three isn't, three isn't a crowd, is it? Yeah, still, it's best not to dwell on this because this is not a serious, serious movie. It's Definitely not, no. It's light-hearted. I would say it's tonally all over the place, <laughs> but it tries to be light-hearted quite a lot of the time. It's, it's quite grounded in its genre. Like modern movies, as we discussed before, can sometimes have no conception of genre, but this, I think, stays within its lane quite what well. What is its genre, then? What well, shelf are you putting it on in blockbusters if you go back to the 1980s? Black comedy slasher. <laughs> okay. With all of the other black comedy slashes? Scream, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I know what you did last summer, maybe. Sorry, so then we go back to Jamie's Kitchen Island, where she's having a bit of a tete-a-tete with Mum. Kitchen Island, yeah. American kitchens always have an island, don't they? They do, and, and there's always debate about who's wearing what and going out. This time, she's about to head out for a Halloween party, and she's wearing her mum's rather fetching... No, her mum's wearing a rather fetching cowboy cowboy outfit, which... Jamie, no, Jamie steals it from her oh, mum. Jamie steals it. borrowed it. it. Yes, that's right. It, it, it's a white leather with tassels jacket. Yeah. Very 80s, very cool. I thought it was rather nice, actually. I have yeah. To Can I understand why Jamie took it? Her mum, though, is... She's not going out. She's just she's not, not going, going out. out. It's not safe for her. I think she knows the rock star on Jamie's poster, doesn't she? Because she used That's to go to school right, yeah. with him. Yeah. 
But she's worried about her daughter because it's the anniversary of, of the killings. With 16 murders, yeah. Her mum was involved in some, to some degree. She was about that age. She knew those people. Now, her mum claims that she is in fancy dress. She says that she's dressed as Molly Ringwald in The Breakfast Club. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Jamie goes to the gig wearing a <laughs> mum's vintage white leather jacket. She's about to go to her friend's door, but she refuses to knock. Instead, she just texts a friend. She says it's rude to knock at a friend's door, which I thought was a brilliant observation. I always think that knocking is kind of rude. I don't like to knock myself. Yeah, so I mean, I'm the age where I need generation, direction on the general, generational, generational differences here. I guess yeah. this, is, this is Gen Z behaviour, isn't it? Well, at the very least, you should text someone to tell them you're coming. Because they might be in the middle of doing something. You just knock on their door, what, they have to drop everything and tend to your presence. It's not acceptable, is it? You should give, give them forewarning, at the very least. The other thing I'd heard recently, I've read about this today. Maybe you've seen this in Classroom, Paul. But I've, I've heard that kids will say, chat, is this right? Addressing an imaginary Twitch audience that they call chat. Does that, have you ever heard that happen? What do you mean? So in normal conversation, kids these days will just say, chat, am I crazy or what, kind of thing. Oh, as if they're asking, am I the asshole kind of questions to, to the group kind of thing. To their imaginary Twitch audience. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting generation, isn't it? <laughs> have you seen, <laughs> have the, you skibbity, have you seen the skibbity toilet? No, what's that? What's that? Ah, right. Well, Skibbity Skibbity Bop Bop was a TikTok meme where a rather large, rotund, young Turkish guy would stand outside in order to promote the restaurant, Turkish restaurants, and wobble his belly up and down to some Turkish movie, <laughs> whilst the movie said Skibbity Skibbity Bop Bop. Okay. That's the, that's the beginning of this. And then later on... So it's a meme. It's a meme. That was the first meme. Now, later on... Completely unrelated TikToker started creating his own sort of little animated shorts where the skibbity toilets are trying to take over the world and the TV monitor men, who are men with large TV heads, are trying to fight them. Uh-huh, okay. It's so you've quite got toilets advanced. singing skibbity skibbity <laughs> bop bop trying to take <laughs> over the world whilst their lids are flapping up and down. And, and he, he started producing five-minute, ten-minute-long extensions of this serial. It's now run for a thousand episodes. But onto that now, there's now a song they sing, all these young people, talking about rizzing your skibbity or something like that. So right. riz means to make a pass. It's short for charisma. Ah, uh, yeah. So there's a right. whole okay. language of kind of quite ephemeral, but quite tangential language that they're sort of evolving here. So yes, I imagine they would say, chat, am I right? Kind of thing. Have you ever heard them do it, though? No, no. no okay. They do share their drinks and not water fountain. So like literally... Supping on the same bottle. That's one aspect of their behaviour I've noticed. That's, that's normal, isn't it? No, 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 no. Oh. Oh. I mean, you would, but you'd water, you'd water fountain it normally, wouldn't you? You'd, like, you'd have no lip contact contact if you were sharing <laughs> drinks normally among teenagers. Okay, I see, yeah. That was the previous sort of etiquette on that. They get their smackers all over it, do they? Yeah. Well, they've all got they've all had H- HPV vaccines, haven't they? So The second rule is that you always, always, always share snacks. Nobody ever has pretty much any of their own snack, which is interesting. That's nice. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. Well, back at home, her mum is dealing with trick-or-treaters when, surprise, her home is invaded by killer mask guy. He knocks, I think, and then pulls a knife out at her. But mum is very well prepared for this. Apparently, she'd been training for she this for 30 years. She says to me, I've, I've learned Kung Fu to wait for this day. I knew you'd be back. 
There's a fight. A good she fight. overpowers him. She gets brutally stabbed herself, but she does manage to stab the guy. Yeah, I, I think she ends up dying, doesn't she? She sadly. does. So and one of the many tonal whiplash moments of this movie. The hero's <laughs> mum is dead now, sort of ten minutes in. Jamie's grieving, obviously. I was going to say, the podcast tour guide was live stream outside of the house now. Mm-hmm. Of Pam Hughes, that's the name of the, the mum. You've got a fourth victim to talk about, yeah. Jamie is, as you say, grieving with a crystal given to her by her mum to keep her safe. At school, Jamie is questioned by a cop, uh, and it seems her mum knew the podcast tour guide, which is making Jamie angry for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like there's some suggestion that there was something going on between them. Yes. Yep. School life continues. Jamie goes to a science fair, an American school thing that we don't have in this country, in the middle of an abandoned fairground. That's right, with her friend Amelia, I think, who was the girl she went to the party with. Who she didn't want to knock on the door of. Her friend Amelia is building a time machine. And building a time machine, as it so happens. Yeah. For her science fair project in yeah. a photo booth. For a 20-hour project, yeah. Now that was that that was just so like that was just so for the purposes of plot, wasn't it? Like, oh, uh, it used to be an eighties theme park, so it's nice and spooky and eighties. And the school is using it why? Well, because it came cheap because it's abandoned. Well, it was abandoned because of the murders, the Sweet Sixteen murder. Yeah. One of them happened in the theme park, didn't it? Go figure. In terms of arranging that, Amelia says that the system she's building needs Wi-Fi to get a GPS signal. Right. Now, that's clever. We're going to find out why that's clever later. It's not really very technically accurate, though. I mean, we're in the realm of building time machines in photo booths, so I don't know why I care. But obviously, <laughs> you, you don't need Wi-Fi for a GPS signal. No, GPS I mean, signals are not Wi-Fi dependent, are they? At, at this point, I could probably go off and do an entire diatribe about how G- GPS works again. Please, don't. No. I, I won't. Not that I, I don't I'll want you to, it's just... Over the. Purposes of time constraints. For brevity. Maybe we'll do it next week. Maybe we can book in next week a session where we talk about how GPS works. Now, Chris Dubasage, the reporter, doesn't he come and say, before Pam died, she had a note that said, you're next one day from the killer? Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, I'm not sure of the relevance of that. but I guess it's why she's so prepared, apart from any, anything else, isn't it? Jamie has asked her dad about her mum and this Chris Dupassage, the podcast mm-hmm. guy. And Chris, who is the podcast guy, as I mentioned, her dad says that Chris had a crush on her mum at school. That's but right. He tells her to stop listening to Chris because he's full of shit, basically. But the next scene, Chris is meeting with Jamie in a cafe. Presumably she's invited him. And Chris, this is when Chris shows uh, the this death note you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jamie goes to the funfair that night. She meets a mate, but she's jumped by a knife-wielding killer. Yes. And, of course, she runs to hide in, the time, in the time machine photo booth. There you go. And as she's hiding in We there, have a Back to the Future moment. Absolutely. The killer stabs through the curtain, <laughs> and the knife goes into the control. Seren- serendipitously, what happens? Uh, apparently it switches it on or makes it work. Amelia's been struggling to make it work. That's, but now that's it convenient. Works. Unlucky for her. And of course, she winds up in the 1980s. In 1987. In an active funfair with Bananarama playing. Yes, good choice, I thought. So she gets out and cleverly puts an out-of-order sign on the booth. 
uh, and takes the photo strip, which has printed, <laughs> of her in the booth being nearly stabbed by a guy. Now, we get some levity here, don't we, for a brief moment, where she makes observation on 80s behaviour and culture. Like, the fact people just walk off their job for a fag break. Or if she says, like, oh, I'm new at school, then she just gets led into the school without anybody checking her ID and that kind of stuff. There's no security, yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's no metal detectors. No one I think she says, oh, imagine going to, go to an airport in this time, you know. So... Nice. She goes up to someone. She goes up to someone. And says, "What year is it?" And the woman says, "1987." And she realizes. Like, Jamie looks surprised, and she goes, "I know the eighties are almost over, and I haven't even tried coke yet." She means cocaine, of course, not Coca Cola. Yes, I'm not sure people would have referenced the end of an era that they were still in, though, which is weird. You don't think so? No. Like I think it only became known as the coke decade afterwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. But anyway. So, as you say, Jamie goes to school claiming that she's an exchange student from Prince Edward Island. <laughs> it's a place. It's convenient because now a lot of her weird behaviour can be explained, or her 2020 <laughs> behaviour can be explained as her being Canadian. She figures out from her schedule that she's got gym. She goes to gym, doesn't she? Because she's shocked by how short the shorts are. <laughs> and gym. also the violence of the game Dodgeball. Oh, yeah, that's right. She plays dodgeball, yeah. And the horrific cruelty of the teacher, too. Lots of nice, light observations going at this part of the movie, despite the fact that it's a slasher movie. So. Well, she sees the three murder victims from the from the 80s, the sweet 16 murder victims. And they're almost cookie-cutter copies of Heather, those kind of personalities. And they're all friends with her mum. Surprise, surprise. Who everybody calls... Apparently her mum's not very nice, and everyone calls her the Wicked Witch of Vernon. <laughs> True, but it, it it turns out that she's just the popular girl, and she's not that nasty anyway. But her three friends are pretty nasty, and we've all hated on the popular kid, haven't we? She goes and meets her mum, doesn't she? And she actually sticks her hand out to shake hands, and her mum says, "I'm not going to shake your hand because I'm not 45 or a man." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, her mum's sassy. You know, I can understand she might humiliate students sometimes, other students sometimes. But she's not, I mean, she, she, it's just garden variety nastiness, isn't it? It's not bullying or anything like that. Now, she knows that one of the killings happens at a party that she hears is happening tonight. And she tries to get, tonight in the 80s, obviously, she tries to get her mum to cancel the party and hopefully change or divert the killer from killing the, the victim. That's right, yeah. But I don't think her mum is too keen on cancelling the party. She then goes to the cops and she tries to report a crime that hasn't happened yet. That goes about as well as you can expect. She tries to ask them if they've seen Back to the Future. And they say, you're an exchange student from Prince Edward Island? <laughs> Sounds made up. <laughs> the, the cop says he hates time travel movies because they never make any sense, which is usually true. I just wanted to say, Paul, I know we've done a lot of time travel movies, a lot of time movies. You don't say. And I was starting to feel that maybe maybe that was my weirdness, being becoming obsessed with time travel movies, that was leading us off down a wormhole, as it were. No. no. But I thought harder about it, and I've realised, I've come to realise that quite a lot of films, actually not just films, but all fiction, winds up in a kind of time travel area. We don't necessarily call it time travel. I mean, I might have said in the 80s, around the time of Back to the Future and Groundhog Day and whatever else, I might have said that time travel was like this new and unique kind of storytelling thing that was quite modern. Yeah. But the truth is, 
I mean, H.G. Wells's The Time Machine, you know, is one of the first science fiction novels, isn't it? That's right. And I read an article recently about time travel, time loop movies, which I was quite annoyed by, by the way it scored everything. Some things it got right, but some things were way off. But one of the films that he included in there was Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Have you, you've not seen it, though, have you? I, no, no. Unless it stars so, Tom Cruise, then I haven't. It does not, no. It stars Matthew McConaughey, I think. So this brief story of Interstellar, then, just to catch you up. Basically, the, the Earth is dying, crops aren't growing. They need to find somewhere else for humanity to go and live and thrive. Oh, good. So is, is Zeus going to mate with us like a swan or not? <laughs> what? Sorry, I'm just thinking of another movie that was had a similar kind of backstory. Oh, that's... Yeah, yeah, that's Destination Io, isn't it? Destination yeah, yeah. Io, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with the Greek mythology. Who can right. forget that? Really, Interstellar is this story about how they go off exploring, finding planets in solar systems beyond our own, find one to settle on. Right. Now, there is a little bit of timey stuff in there because they have to go through a wormhole so they can travel quickly enough to another solar system. And they wind up at a planet that surround, that orbits around a black hole. And right. because of the time dilation effects, they go down onto this planet for a short time, a few minutes. When they get back up, the guy who wasn't in the time dilation has experienced like 30 years or something. He's been waiting Whoa. for them for 30 years. Because of the time dilation. But that's perfectly normal time dilation. And it's all forward travel. There's no, like, retro causality going on. Yes. Except right at the end of the movie, I think Matthew McConaughey, spoiler alert, but we know how I feel about spoilers, ends up going through a black hole or something. He ends up in a kind of four-dimensional kind of realm where time and space, he can move through time. And I think at that point he goes and sends a message to himself or his daughter that was at the start of the movie that kind of encourages him to go and get on the spaceship. Yes. But it's not really a time travel movie, except in that very loose sense. Okay. But if you're going to broaden the definition of a time travel story that far, I think a lot of things start being time travel movies. Like we said last week, most films, most fiction has a montage where it skips a load of time, right? Yeah. It has to. Otherwise, Otherwise, it's a piece that's told completely in real time. I don't know how you do that in a book. You don't know how quickly you read. Obviously, in movie and TV, they can do it minute by minute, can't they? What am I saying? I'm saying, just to excuse myself from choosing all these time loop movies, I think time travel stuff crops up all over the place. I see. Yeah. Well, I never thought you chose too many. I mean, it's kind of like our modus operandi is to sort of look at those kind of movies, isn't it? So. But there has been loads of them recently, clearly. We haven't had trouble finding them, have we? Let's face it. There's a glut of them, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, they do very rarely make sense. Let's be, let's be realistic. Yeah, Jamie goes to find Amelia's mum, because Amelia's mum is the smart one. That's where Amelia got her time travel machine. Got her smarts from, smart yeah. From. yeah. She explains the situation. She says she has to fix the time machine, but it needs Wi-Fi to work, and you guys don't have it yet. Yeah. So this is really the, the whole problem, isn't it? This is, this is what's keeping her here is the fact that she doesn't have Wi-Fi in the 80s. Something's fallen off the DeLorean. It would have been easier to say, like, like GPS system isn't operational yet. Mm-hmm. Although, I think they did start it in the late 70s, but it was military only for a while, wasn't yes. it? Yes. And I don't think you were consumer GPS devices for quite a while. So she's trying to get Amelia's mother, Lauren, on board. And also the school prefect, Doug, who is flashback 
of the present day, i.e. 2023, the school principal. Oh, yes, that's right. He is the school principal. Now, Amelia's mum calls the clique of girls that her mum is in and that the mm. other victims are in. She calls, calls them the Mollies, which is an obvious reference to Heathers, isn't it? Yes. But, but these are the Molly Ringwalds. And they're all wearing, they're all dressed as different periods of Molly Wingwald's kind of acting career, aren't they? <laughs> Hotel New Hampshire, I think, is one of them, isn't it? But she takes Amelia's mum, Lauren, I think she's called, to the time machine booth. Mm-hmm. And Lauren immediately gets to work. She pulls a nail gun, it's important, it'll come up later, out of her school bag and starts fixing the time machine, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. But she talks about time being like a river and the changes you make trickle downstream she says expounding the time philosophy that this movie holds now back in the here and now uh, jamie's dad is trying to find jamie oh and the i forgot about that and chris are there and amelia shows up and she explains that she'd built this time machine i'm not sure how she persuades them that it's true but there we go and meanwhile, back in the 80s, Jamie and Lauren go to the house party, the ill-fated house party where a killing is supposed to occur. Now, how did Jamie get invited? She just goes along, doesn't she? Oh, Eric? right. Because okay. outside, they meet, as you say, the young principal, Doug. They try to sneak in round the back over a fence. They get in, and Bizarre Love Triangle is playing by New Order, which is great musical choice. Is the jock grabbing his crotch at this party, or is that the next one? <laughs> Oh, no, it didn't leave as lasting an impression on me as it did on you, Paul. <laughs> well, there's several observations. There's him grabbing his crotch, and there's and there's people making bodily contact with her. She's like, oh, uh, unwanted contact, unwanted contact. So it's just... She does say that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. She sees her father, who is a very fit guy with abs, coming out of the pool, doesn't she? Oh, that's in the first party, right, okay, yeah. But her dad is going out with another of the Mollies, one of the victims, I guess, mm-hmm. not her mum. But I think her mum had said, or her dad had said to her earlier in the film, that he's glad he didn't get with her mum at high school because they would never have lasted. They only kind of got together years later. That's what she was told, wasn't it? That's right. Her mum and the Mollies are all mean to Chris Dubasage, the, the young Bespectacle, yeah. Earlier yeah. version of the, the podcast, yeah. Tiffany breaks up with Blake, who is her dad, isn't it? I think. I see. At that party. She ends up with the musician, Eddie, who is the guy that was on Jamie's poster later on. That's right, yeah. They end up on the parents' waterbed. Tiffany says at one point that she doesn't do BJs because you pee out of that thing. (laughs) (laughs) She goes off to freshen up in the bathroom. Jamie is listening to the podcast on her iPhone, to learn of the exact time and location of all of the deaths in history. So she's kind of prescient at this point, isn't she? Mm -hmm. And she's going to the garage, the garage, just after midnight to try and make sure the murder doesn't happen there, looking for Tiffany. But the killer is in the closet where Tiffany is with Blake, comes out and stabs her, I think, stabs the waterbed as well, possibly. Jamie, meanwhile, had discovered a completely different couple in the garage, And she thinks that she's changed events, therefore. Fair assumption. She and her mum, Pam, find Tiff's body on the leaking waterbed. Oh, dear. And she pretends pretends to her mum that she's psychic, doesn't she? So, you know, there's a Cluedo moment going on here where we're supposed to have several people in mind as to who the killer could be. Well, this is another of the tonal shifts. Mm. 
is that I think, as you say, you're supposed to have possibly this whodunit element going on, mm-hmm. but it's not played very straight. It's not, it? no, it's not continuous, is it? It's kind of like we, re- we return to it once every 25 minutes, kind of thing, and then and then it's 50, 10 minutes of people observations about differences in 2023 and 1987 culture, and then some teenagers getting off with each other, kind of stuff. Jamie pulls out her crystal that her mum had given her, and she attributes her psychic power knowing about the murders to it, and says that there'll be more murders. Mm. And Pam, her mum, seems convinced. convinced. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) convinced. So now she's got a hold on Pam, and she convinces everybody to say, look, look, we've got to hoof it out of town. There's a dangerous killer on the loose. I'm psychic, and I know that we're going to be next, so we've got to leave. And they all agree. And someone hearing that she knows the future, I think they ask her, if the machines kill us. <laughs> and she says, no, they use dance against us. Is that a reference to Boston Dynamics dancing, uh, could dancing be. robots? Oh, it could be TikTok, I think. Not sure which one. <laughs> so she thinks she's managed to divert causality and time and take them out of the murder loop. But unfortunately, they haven't been straightforward with her. They've taken her to the cabin where she knows the next murder is. Ah, uh, yes, it's the occur. cabin. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods. So now we get a classic Cabin in the Woods little vignette, don't we? Flash forward to the future, where Amelia is now building a new time machine, this time in an arcade racer cabinet. As you do. I think Chris is realising, Chris the podcast guy... Chris Dubassage. In in 2023, is realising that he got the Tiffany murder wrong. That his facts, his details where he'd said that she died in the garage, are not true. And she actually died in the master bedroom on the waterbed. McFly is disappearing from the photo, yeah. That's right, yeah. So we're getting this trickle effect, aren't we, of time change. So do you think he was deliberately referencing kind of kind of slightly cod moments of Back to the Future in this movie or not? It's a cute way of doing time travel mm. that people understand, but doesn't make a lick of sense, does it? Yeah. Because it implies a meta-time during which all these propagations happen, doesn't it? A better time that each time version is aware of kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's hopeless, isn't it? Like a GitHub, a GitHub of time sort of variations. (laughs) But cleverly, Amelia describes this as the Mandela effect. This is one of the cleverest lines in the film. Yeah. You know the Mandela effect. She's thinking on her feet, isn't she? (laughs) Well, maybe she doesn't realise either. I don't know. But the Mandela effect is this thing where people think they remember something very clearly and believe their memory must be right, and reality must have changed. Classic one is Looney Tunes. How do you spell tunes? Oh. And the other one is... The answer is you spell it T-U-N-E-S normally, but people imagine it as T-O-O-N-Z. The other one is Nelson Mandela dying in prison. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems to remember that that's happening when... I think he was released, wasn't he, before he died? He was indeed, yeah. I think that they're looking through pictures... From the party. This is Amelia and Chris in 2023. They've got a load of Polaroids that were taken at the party. And Amelia spots that Jamie is in the pictures. <laughs> so she knows that time travel works, obviously. Meanwhile, back in the past, Lauren is telling Jamie that unlike in Back to the Future, she won't just disappear. She'll just have nowhere to go back to. She won't have a future, effectively. No, it, it's happening at the cabin, isn't it? They're getting it on. Somebody's laced the brownies with a kilo of weed or something, and they're all in the hot tub getting stoned. And then we get a really nice... Well, just to explain what's happened, Jamie had convinced the girls to have a trip out to the city, a girls' trip. Yes. 
And she was hoping to make sure they didn't go to the cabin, which she knows is another of the murder venues. That's right. But she goes to sleep in the car. Ah. When she wakes up, they've arrived at this wood cabin that is... I think it's Tiffany's. No, no, Tiffany's dead. It's one of the other Mollies, isn't it? Along with the sexually proactive jock and all his mates kind of stuff. Blake, her, uh, her dad? Oh, no, you mean the, the, the other guy? the jock. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Who winds up being the PE teacher. That's right, yeah. They don't call them PE teachers, do they, in the US? Or do Gym they? teachers. Gym, okay, yeah. So anyway, somebody's, like, laced all the, all the brownies with the usual, with broccoli, and uh, they're all getting it on, or trying to be really stoned in the jacuzzi. And there's a funny moment where Jamie discovers the weed and says, what is this? It's all twigs and roots. <laughs> twigs and leaves. As a reference. Yeah. She says, you know, I've smoked about eight of these and I'm still not stoned kind of thing. It's a reference <laughs> to just how weak the, the dope was back then. I think... I could give you one gummy bear that would... <laughs> yes, that's the phrase, yeah. <laughs> So lots of, again, we're back on humorous comparisons of culture. But I think it, it was a lot of placebo effect, you know, back then. People convinced themselves they were stoned and giggling, you know. So There's a message, 80s weed sucks, folks. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff happens in the log cabin. But Jamie's like, oh, Christ, they're all stoned and we're about to get murdered. This isn't the best situation, is it? Pam, her mum, is, I think with Blake, I, I, I think having too much fun. In the kitchen, she's making some kind of improvised Wonder Bread pizza with just like white slices of bread and, <laughs> and a bit of cheese and pepperoni. Marissa, one of the Mollies, is making a screwdriver with a shit ton of vodka, three quarters of a tumbler of vodka and a splash of orange juice. Is that maybe that's how you make screwdrivers? I don't know. Jamie sees the killer approach a spaced out Heather who's lying on the bed. She's looking through the window because they've locked her out because she's a buzzkill. She, so she's watching this kind of powerless. She gets her mum, Pam, to let her in through the window. The killer chucks one of them down the stairs and stabs her in the hallway. Stabs Blake, who's fighting with it as well, although he's not killed, fortunately. And Jamie hits him with a log as he tries to leave. And Blake, I think, finishes him off with the poker. Whoa. Jamie grabs a bloody paper towel. He didn't kill him, does he? No, he, does he, he chases him off with a poker, maybe. That's right, but Jamie gives a bloody paper towel that's got the killer's blood on it to the <laughs> cops right. for, for DNA. <laughs> and the cops have no idea what she's talking about. DMA, I say. <laughs> the first DNA thingy that the police ever did was, was in 1987 Whoa. in England. That was the very first time it was ever used. So it certainly wouldn't have got to Vernon in the US by this, by this stage. Okay, so Heather's dead. That's uh, two dead. Maybe one more to go. Strangely, she's watching one of the... I think the reporters have arrived, haven't they? That's right. And as one of the outside broadcast vans is doing a broadcast, Lauren notices that Jamie's iPhone has suddenly got a signal. And they think they might be able to use it to trigger the time machine. But unfortunately, I don't know how or why that makes any sense. It doesn't. There we go. (laughs) Unfortunately, her battery is running very, very low. Although it's impossible to get a Wi-Fi signal except through a TV outside broadcast van... It's even more impossible to rig up a five volt power supply to recharge <laughs> recharge your iPhone. But then she's down to like thirty percent or something. Now we haven't talked about Damon, who is the loner guy at school, isn't he? Oh Damon, I, well, he becomes critical about now, doesn't he? She'd been paired up with him in science class and seen him writing Doodling, all disturbing yeah, yeah. things in his notebook, hadn't she? And he is a loner and he's clearly meant to be, you know, a prime suspect isn't he 
it turns out that he was his girlfriend was, and they had a nickname for her. Well, the unpopular, uh, was, the unpopular yeah. large girl who it turns out killed herself drink driving after coming to a party with Jamie's mum Pam. And, and being bullied by the Hollies, yeah, because of her weight. It is revealed a little bit later in the movie, I think. Sorry, I've jumped ahead there. But Damon says to Jamie, "If Tiffany did do blowjobs, maybe she would have still been alive." <laughs> <laughs> Again, epochal differences. Lauren is still thinking about using the phone to trigger the time machine. She's saying, "We'd need a shit ton of power." Again, that's very Back to the Future, isn't it? One that can disrupt gravity, like. The quantum drop. Now, the quantum drop is one of those spinning centrifuge rides in the in the fun fair. Yes, that's been referenced by some of them, having ridden on it. So they're now going to use this apparently to disrupt gravity. <laughs> that would mean they wanted to go back to the amusement park, wouldn't it? That's right. Well, the uh, that's great because the... Halloween night's coming up, isn't it? I guess it's a popular destination to use park for teenagers on Halloween night. Jamie gathers the remaining Hollies and Randy and Blake, the jock guy, together mm-hmm. to catch... Oh, no, Randy's the jock, isn't he? Blake is her father. To help catch the killer. And they've got improvised weapons, don't they, and stuff. And they're, they're in the haunted house of horrors, basically. The doll house of horrors. Which is quite good for 1987. I have to say, it's pretty <laughs> impressive. They didn't have so many very animatronic. video games back then, did they? They had to make their own entertainment in the 80s. But very animatro- animatronic kind of uh, little show going on inside there. Now, the soundtrack at this point, I think they call it Grams in TV and movies, is Echo and the Bunnyman, Killing Moon. Great choice. It is a great choice, yeah. Kara turns up in a... Kara uh, is a character we haven't really mentioned, isn't she? Sorry. One of, one of the other characters we haven't mentioned, who I think ends up being a cop in the future... Turns up in a Halloween costume dressed as the Grim Reaper. Marissa, one of the Hollies, walks through the House of Horrors while her friends are waiting to catch the killer. They're all disguised, aren't they, as if they're That's right, yeah. part of the House of Horrors, you know, zombie makeup and stuff. So although it, tentatively it's been suggested that Randy might have been the killer, it's kind of been discounted now that any of the friend group can be the killer. So we're kind of casting our eyes further out, but to whom? I guess, as you said, the, the weirdo in the science class. But it's kind of obvious, really, after talking to him, that he's, he's a decent guy. There is a fight in the House of Horrors. A rather good fight. Two or three good fights in this movie. Kara turns up as the Grim Reaper and kills the killer with her scythe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which apparently, apparently was real, because her dad is the sheriff. Mask reveal. Mask is pulled off. Turns out it's Doug, the, prefect, the future yeah. principal. Doug the Prefect. Yeah. There you He's go. He's got a locket of the overweight girl, Trish. Trish. Thank and obviously you. he was carrying a torch for her and was very upset that she'd died after being bullied. Although she was drink driving, but then again it was the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now this is when Jamie has a real go at her mum, but Pam says, I would never do that. And by the way, I wasn't at the party, which seems to be true. It's corroborated by her friends. She was questioning them. They said that they'd invited the overweight girl to question her about maybe having an affair with Coach Zane. <laughs> they let her get drunk and let her drive home. And as you say, Pam The culpability does lie with them. Yeah. But as they're arguing, another killer in another Max Headroom mask appears and brutally slits Marissa's throat, 
turns out it's adult Doug, the principal from the future, who's obviously used one of the time machines or something. In the future, Amelia finds her mum collapsed in the garage. Whoa. Presumably Doug had gone there and stolen the time machine. God knows. But back in the past, Lauren has the fixed time machine in the middle of the quantum drop ride. The idea is that going to spin it up. This is where it gets silly. And it's going to go really fast. Lauren is leaving. She's in the middle, in the middle of the centrifuge. She's not affected by the centrifugal forces. But the killer arrives in the quantum drop. Lauren manages to jump out in time. Yeah. Pam arrives to help. They struggle with the killer as the centrifuge is getting faster and faster. The killer stabs Pam, but Pam manages to jump out through the hatch. Whoa. And now, trapped in the quantum drop, the killer is unmasked, and this killer is Chris... <laughs> the podcast guy, so copycat, three killers. He's trying to continue his true crime career by, you know, having extra murders or something. And he therefore wrote the note to her mum just to generate more interest in oh. in the whole stuff, in the whole in the whole caboodle. Of course, Jamie shoots the guy with the nail gun that Lauren has been using to build all the good stuff. use. I think nail guns should be used more often. <laughs> He winds up on the rim of the centrifuge, which is now going so fast that, as Lauren had warned, he will explode. Don't know why, <laughs> but it explode he does. <laughs> Back in the now, the time machine having worked, uh-huh. Jamie runs home, and her mum is back alive because everything has changed. The events of the past that had led to her mum's death never happened. There's a weird kind of older, kind of handsome guy. She's a bit, mm, he's all right. It sounds like it's a bilf, a brother I'd like to fuck. Because her dad and her mum got together much earlier yeah. when they were at high school. So they had her brother first, and he's obviously much older. Now, it seems petulant of me and rather peevish to complain about this after three separate killers, one of them time-travelling, or was it two of them time-travelling, I can't remember, exploding centrifuges and that kind of stuff. But seriously, if we are to say time has been changed, <laughs> yeah. then... She wouldn't exist anymore, would she? Because what's the chance of the same sperm reaching the egg? <laughs> Unless, of course, they're making an argument for consciousness and soul to be independent of sperms. She seems to still exist, Paul, mm. but her brother is called Jamie, and now she's called Colette. I never got that bit. Sorry, thank and you for that, for that close, close attention <laughs> you paid to. There are other silly ending to this movie. There we go. Yes, so it is silly all the way through. But like I say, I found the tonal shifts really weird. Very weird. I I mean, the violence depicted is no holds barred. I mean, there's real stabbings of 16-year-old girls going on. It was really obvious it was Doug too early on. Really? You'd guess it was a principal? Well, I guess it was a younger version of him, yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that. Wow. Well, you're a regular Miss Marple, aren't you? Well, it was obvious that nobody in the group was the murderer, do you know what I mean? And that just... I mean, they kind of hinted at it for the first... for the first sort of fight scene, and then they kind of threw it away. So it wasn't just a total shift. It was that they kind of picked up, you know, these various plot elements off the floor and then kind of threw them away one by one, so... If we are to compare this to Happy Death Day, Mm -hmm. where she goes back several times, it's more like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Happy Death Day is just so much more coherent in its time travel. Yes, it does it better, doesn't it? Mm. It does it better. I'm afraid Happy Death Day kind of eats... Eats the lunch of this film. It does. It munches out on various kind of lunchboxes. What it does do that this film 
that Happy Death Day could not do is they get to go back to the 80s and make all these wry observations Brilliant. about the time period. Brilliant. So I suppose in that sense it does work better, doesn't it? And in a, it's, it's shoddy DeLorean construction is very evocative of 80s time travel movies anyway. <laughs> so It is, yeah. It's very so, genre So there's anymore. resonance there, isn't there? Yeah. Well, okay, we may have a, a job on our hands scoring this. Then. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, it's very Bill and Ted's mm. pitched. But it's not to as reference Bill and Ted's. That, you know. So it's hard to score it in terms of how serious it takes the time travel. And but how, let's start with the acting. It's how, always easier to do acting first. Yeah. This stars Kiernan Shipka. That's right. In the starring role. I liked her. She, I think she was in Mad Men and a few other, a few other things. But I really? thought she was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure by the rest of the cast, and I don't think it's their fault. Again, I just don't know how, as an actor, you would pitch this. Are you trying to be slapstick? Is it trying to be funny? Is it National Lampoon? Or are you trying to be, you know, scared? It never quite gets the National Lampoon silliness, though, does it, really? Well, no, it doesn't know what it is. It's it's a little bit wryer than that, isn't it? But very inconsistent at the same time. I think it would be a very difficult film to try for everyone to pitch what whether you're trying to be silly or whether you're trying to be scared or whether you're trying to be a horror or whether you're trying to be a, a sci-fi. I, I don't know how you would do it. I don't know how you direct to do it. So in that sense, they had a tough, a tough job. It's on the lighter side, isn't it? Mo- most of the acting is done somewhat tongue-in-cheek. So I think it's where you'd end up if you tried to do it. Yes. I'm going to give it a seven for acting. I enjoyed the acting. You know, I thought it was where it needed to be a six for me. So plot... It's full of ideas, I'll say that much. Uh, <laughs> the time travel makes no sense. No. As a murder mystery, it's not very satisfying. I don't think it makes much sense. It, it dangles two, at least, potentials, and like both of them end up being a killer. As a slasher, it works, but only for three interperiod inter- moments of the movie. Does the time travel stack up? Not really. Does the story about... I mean, Not really, I but I'm giving that escape caveat. Maybe they're trying to mimic 80s time travel movies. It's a six, maximum a six, maybe a five. I'll give it a six. I'm going to give it seven because it is full of ideas. Okay, right, okay. What what do we do? Do we do time loopy whoopiness? Well, there's all kinds of things. We could score the comedy, we could score the, the, the horror and the slasherness of it, <laughs> or we could score the time traveliness of it. So I don't know. See, it doesn't know what it is, Paul. Yeah. I mean, time travel doesn't make any sense, as I've said, so I've got to give it a four. Horror, I mean, it's a bit gory, slashery. I'll give it a five. I think the comedy, comedy is where it works. Quite funny, yeah. I'd, I'd I would score a seven it, for comedy. I would definitely yeah. score it an eight on the comedy. I think the comedy, okay. it was laugh out loud at times. I was just guffawing. I like the knowing 80s sideways glances, yeah. So even 8.5 for the comedy. Then, okay, let's put the other two together in terms of effective tonal shifts between horror <laughs> and time travel. Yeah, okay. Time travel horror. You scored that a four. Was that a four or five? Well, it's not scary in terms of the time travel, is it? Because there's no peril. They don't actually introduce any time-related peril. Also, there's one more thing, murder mystery. So those three things. Do they totally shift across those effectively or not? I'm, I'm guessing you're saying no, no, they don't. No. So it's a what for you? It's a four for me. A four. I'm going to score it a little bit higher on that. I'm going to score it a 5.5. Ambitious, but came out feeling a little bit bitty. Overall, then. Look, oh, I've got very different scores not- here. It's not amazing. A rainy afternoon, we're getting plenty of those lately. Mm-hmm. I'm fully prepared to give this a six. I'm going seven. Fine. Because it's just, it's really enjoyable. And I don't think it is trying to take itself seriously. So we have to 
Clearly not. You have no. to view it with some, some laxity and leniency for, for, for that reason. Very well. Okay, dust off our hands. On to the next one. Next week would be episode 19. Richard, I've got some movies for you. I don't know if you're interested in choosing one of them. I am. Tell me. Okay. Tell me what we've got. Before me, I have four choices. For a piece of paper, yeah. Four choices, some of which I'm more or less familiar with. The first one is Pig, recently, two years ago, uh, starring the estimable and needs no introduction. Nick Cage. Cage. Okay. Second, and I don't know if I pronounce this correct, is Psycho Gorman. Yes, okay. Which is interesting. Then I've got two movies by going by the names of two, going by two female names. The first is Victoria, and the second is Lucy. Lucy, the Luke Besson Lucy. Yes, hopefully. In 2013 or 14, I don't quite remember which. All of these are intriguing. I mean, Nick Cage has been in a movie very recently, hasn't he, that... I can't remember the name of it. Well, I, I included because of the apocryphal movie that we reviewed, but never came, never came to podcast. House Mandy. Oh no, Mandy. Mandy. Yeah, but that wasn't about truffle hunting, was it? <laughs> it wasn't. But Pig is about truffle hunting. I don't think, just like Man on Death Sauce is not about rabbit farming. I don't think we're going to be staying on truffles for that long. I'm guessing <laughs> with it being Nicolas Cage. We're going to see the magic of Nicolas Cage. I think. I fear that you are steering me towards. No, the no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. The others seem really intriguing, in particular Psycho Gorman. Well, that's the one I'm choosing. I oh. want to choose Psycho Gorman. Good for you. Okay. Yeah. And what's, thank you. what's it available on? All the usual planets? It's available to rent or buy on Amazon. Planet Amazon. YouTube, Google, etc. I can probably use my Google points to get it, I imagine. Oh, I've not been keeping my receipts recently. Oh, Paul. So I've just well, the, the surveys I'm, I'm, it dried up like a trickle in the desert. I get one a week. So. They don't care about your views anymore, Paul. They've got all the information they need. Yep, I'm afraid you are a dried up well. I am a completed a mathematical lemma. Yeah, <laughs> I am a proof that's been proved. So they know everything they need to know. They've completed all the dots on their knowledge tree about me. So all they need now is my receipts, and it's just that hassle of uploading them but you do get paid very well for the receipts on google google rewards yes you do 25 pence 30 pence a time until the next time yes we have to say goodbye do join us for psycho from me and goodbye from him see you the next one ciao Thank you.